0: the presenting sponsor of on education is participate if you are a parent recent weeks have proven to be extremely difficult the last thing you need to worry about is online safety the i can help community on participate has a free course for parents on encouraging positivity with increased social media use during this time visit participate.com oneducation to start connecting and learning together for free i
1: streamed on discord yesterday i had satisfactory open for 16
2: hours
1: (laughs) welcome to on education part of the on podcast media network my name is mike washburn
0: and i'm glenn irvin friends we have an awesome pot for you today we'll discuss what our classrooms could look like next fall, how video games are being used in virtual learning, and our guest this week is technology consultant and author Rob Dunlop. So, I'm
1: pretty hooked. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and I I played Satisfactory all like yes, so yesterday mm-hmm. I decided to reorganize my entire main factory area.
0: So, people usually reorganize their homes you're reorganizing (laughs) right you used to do that yeah yeah but you used to do that also in farm together yeah you were like i'm gonna clean all this up and and put everything where it actually (laughs) belongs (laughs) in its place you cleaned up your factories how does that look
1: it it it, first off um i and i also decided to kind of just leave it running Mm. and and i actually turned on streaming on discord so that people could kind of just check in and, and look. And when I was AFK, I would leave it with a good, like I'd buy, I'd build like one of those big overlooking towers so I could like look down on it. And so when I was AFK, I would leave it there so people could, if they checked in on Discord, they could see what it looked like or my progress. I, I streamed on Discord yesterday. I had Satisfactory <laughs> open for 16 hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, I, I bet I don't there think was I, a lot of
0: a lot of progress though I didn't play hours.
1: for 16 hours to be but fair you,
0: but you let it run for 16 hours that's what I used to do in Farm yeah. Together all the time I, I saw the number of hours my cousin uh, Phil wants to play some games together and he saw my Steam account and he goes looks like you like farming or something and I'm like yeah <laughs> I play that game he's like no it's like <laughs> 750 hours of Farm Together <laughs> I'm like gross well a lot of those were just like Idol. i just had the game open and i yeah. just was letting it you know run itself
1: run. yeah <laughs> and it's satisfactory is good for letting Similar it run right it and it's beneficial so i probably played for about 4 or 5 hours maybe 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 6 um <laughs> But I did a lot of work and got a, got it done. But I'm still like super hooked. Lord knows I'm going to move off of this and probably go back to like Minecraft hardcore, mm. or Ani or Something. maybe World of Warcraft, or but... that game
0: that you guys were playing today, the Minecraft Dungeons. Minecraft Dungeons. That was that looked pretty cool. I was interested in in, yeah. in that concept. What so Steve kind... Isaac's got a yeah.
1: got a key. We tried to get me one too, but. Uh, I'm going to need to slide into some DMs to try to get, get something there. Because um, it hasn't
0: come out yet, right?
1: No, it's not out. And ah. I think the beta, to be honest, I think the beta is closing. Um, so okay. Steve got a key. So it it's basically Diablo. It's mm-hmm. it's Minecraft Diablo.
0: Awesome. It looks cool. Which isn't cool. so bad. <laughs> I, like the, I like the concept of it. I like the, the way it looks. Yeah, yeah. It's very cool.
1: Yeah. It looks really good. So it game, was fun actually, to watch him play. And that I was thinking about. He didn't die about. all the time.
0: Yeah, that my uh, wife would actually play because we used to play. There was another game. There's a bunch of those kind of like. There's a game called Baldur's Gate. Yep. That that Path of Exile took some concepts from Diablo, and you know has the same types of things. Uh, So this kind of dungeon run type of game is is a game that's that's a long long time kind of game, and this is a game that actually Nicole played. So maybe she'll play it, and we'll play all four together. My two kids and and the parents. I've that would be
1: awesome. That would be awesome. I've pre-ordered it, so nice. excited to play it, excited to stream it, and uh, we'll make sure we do that. Speaking of games, mm. I, I still want to plug the the, the the Participate Gone Home game study. So we had a really awesome week last week. I don't know if mm. you've had a chance to watch it, or I can't remember I if you not. were watching it live or anything I like that.
0: some of it, I think. Yes,
1: We had Carla on the stream, and Carla was the co-lead developer of Gone Home. And it was awesome to mm. play in front of Carla. And she had some really great insights on, like, design decisions and how involved in, like, like whose handwriting were different notes. Like, oh, very and, cool. And, like, there's a book on a bookshelf, and it's a picture of her parents. Oh. And, and on the cover of fantastic. the book. And, and, and um, how she, like, wrote hand wrote like notes and then distressed them and then scanned them. And then that's how they get into the game. Right. Mm. So tons of cool comments on the design process and, and how she, how they went about making the game. And it was really fascinating to, to watch, um, and to listen. And she, she enjoyed herself so much. She has uh, volunteered to come back again, uh, this coming week. Mm. So the gone home game study, uh, will be Thursday, um, afternoon, 3 PM Eastern time. You should pick up gone home play the game join us on the game study we're talking uh, a lot about it and then on the participate um, game based learning community where there's a group discussion for people to kind of weigh in and and post their thoughts which is fun too That's
0: so fantastic you
1: can, you can you can go to yeah go to participatecom slash on education and you'll uh, you'll get to a, a cool landing page where you can you can go all over the platform which is fun
0: i was thinking about too mike i mean i'm gonna skip around here a little bit but i figure we're talking about video games mm-hmm. one of the things that i've heard not only you know in my own school district the schools that i work with but just online and through edge of twitter is this concept that we're three four some people even five weeks down the road of this distance yeah. learning thing And we read some articles last week, talked about students basically going, as you described, AFK, which, I mean, if people don't play video games, they probably don't even know what you were talking about. Basically, the away-from keyboard. And in this case, what I'm talking about is saying, I'm just checking out from this concept of virtual learning, distance learning. So we saw an article this week, or someone tagged us in an article about using video games in virtual learning. Now. Mm This is a specific one, and we'll talk about the article in just a bit, but I was just thinking about this in general. As you are going through and talking about games like Minecraft, talking about things uh, that have to do with creation as far as encoding um, and, and a variety of other things, I guess this is a great opportunity to, number one, not only just try these things out, but this is the perfect, not only the time, but because it's a virtual platform, Talk about an awesome, engaging way of being able to now use these games. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to start from scratch either. That's the thing, is like some people, you know, eight, 10, 12, 15, probably 15 years ago, even maybe even longer. I don't know what the timeline looks like as far as using games in education. Uh, and I'm talking about video games. I don't know what that timeline is like, but basically, there's there's now this library of things that you can go ahead and check out, whether it be games like Minecraft or it would be other things, like other uh, commercial games, like that Paul Der used, like this game. It wasn't meant, right, as a educational game. Gone Home wasn't, as, as far as the designer and the lead, yeah. those people that were talking to you about it. It wasn't meant for that, but... It is very interesting, the game is. It's it's engaging, it's compelling, and it makes you want to go ahead and and continue to search things out and learn more things. And then you can use those concepts in whatever it is that you are uh, discussing as far as in class, whether it be in language arts, social studies, or whatever it might be. I just think that it's, you know, when you talked about an opportunity, this is an opportunity to try out game-based learning and to kind of flip some things on its end and go what are the real outcomes that I want for my kids and what will they actually engage with? And I was just thinking about like people like uh, Connor, you know, Connor crop is a, is a student that I had uh, in, in my Spanish classes. And now he's a college student. And he was discussing on Twitter that he is super disengaged from school. He couldn't be, you know, just kind of, it's like, ah, this is gross. That's not where, what I actually want to be doing but if you asked connor like to participate in a game-based learning activity that used his you know in he's uh, studying communications used his communication skills to do something you know whatever it was i bet you could get him hooked and probably a lot of the other uh, students also too so this this concept of using video games as far as in this distance learning environment it's something maybe people should be looking really into and Reaching out and try to learn more about it, right?
1: Yeah, totally. I I, I want to share a, a cool story. So when this kind of all started, in particular the official like notices that people were going to stay home and not come back to school um, after March break in Canada, um, I got a lot of DMs um, from a couple different educators. Um, who wanted me to kind of give them, like, kind of a private Minecraft 101. They, they you know, in, in this case, they associate me with, with Minecraft PD, and they were like, okay, I'm home now. I, I have nothing else. To, I need to do something here. And I realized that this might be my chance to, to use Minecraft in in my school, in my teaching. So, but I don't even know where to start. So, so they reached out to me and, and, and I don't think he would mind me sharing this. So I'm just going to go ahead. And so, so Scott Hebert, who we have had on the podcast, amazing games-based learning teacher from Alberta, um, uh, reached out to me. I, I got together with him on Zoom one night for about an hour and and kind of talked him through some things. Mm-hmm. And I got this DM from him on Sunday. So this is, I guess this is yesterday. We're recording on Monday. Um it says, It's crazy how hooked I am and what we've built. In essence, I've covered in some capacity or another about 90% of the provincial curriculum goals for Alberta's grade eight science. Like, so he built mm. a world in Minecraft had all of his students in it and he's basically covering all of the curriculum in minecraft yes and i'm getting dms from from scott like all the time about how excited he is um about what you know what they've done my kids are going ham on this server that's what he wrote me on April 7th. So, mm. so uh, they made a statue of me as the king. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> so, but it's like, you know, it's that kind of story that, that really gets me up, you know, in the morning. And um, so exciting to see uh, people realize um, that some of these tools are like, you know, I say it all the time in PD that I've done from Minecraft. Minecraft is the most powerful tool for teaching and learning right now that exists. I I honestly think that I think that, you know, the things you can do with Minecraft are just absolutely astounding. And, um, I'm so happy that Microsoft basically has given Minecraft education edition away, uh, to, to folks. Um, and I'm excited that, that they have like the opportunity to, to, to use it in their classes and then connect through remote learning and, um, and all of this stuff. Um, and there are other games that teachers are using as well. Um, there's an article we'll link it in the show notes that talks about, um, Roblox. Um, it's not always in my mind, you know, the best tool for, for teaching, um, for for some specific reasons, but, but I know that some teachers have been using it. Um but one of the games that came up in this and we were like, hey, we know this is um the Assassin's Creed Odyssey Discovery Tour.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and actually if you go back about what was it, about six
0: months? Probably about six a months bit ago,
1: yeah. we interviewed Maxime Durand who was the um lead director, game director for um discovery tour so that was a pretty cool pretty cool interview and it's a pretty cool uh, product it's it's really it's beautiful, beautiful. yeah it's gorgeous
0: it's it's a i mean this article basically describes a teacher who there's the high school students were gonna go to on a trip to Greece and obviously can't anymore and he decided he's like, oh we have um assassin's creed odyssey is based in greece and as we talked about in that interview with maxime and and he described in full detail to us they really intricately took tons and tons of photos and video to come up with the three-dimensional renders that end up being this greek uh these greek cities and they basically are the the replicas of those those places except put into those time periods. Um, and so he decided, hey, we're going to go and do virtual tours of ancient Greece in this uh, game. And it's just fantastic. I mean, this is just one of many uses of, in this case, a game that was, there's an actual game, the Assassin's Creed thing, but this yeah. was a a modded game version of it where basically you don't you can't go around and kill anybody (laughs) you actually are discovering things you can still interact with all of the characters still do all the role-playing uh elements with it as far as those things but not do the action adventure kind of thing um which could distract obviously from the learning whatever you're trying to learn so it's a fantastic version of that and i know that people they got i think that Maxime and the rest of his crew were inspired by, uh, by teachers who were using the game um, to teach a variety of different content areas, whether it be language learning, uh, hist- history, of course, social studies, and so on and so forth, even language arts. Um, so we love it when there's some examples of teachers doing some fantastic things because then not only does it inspire people, but gives you that idea to shoot off of. You know, uh, to be able to say, hey, okay, this is what you did. Now I can go ahead and flip that and use this for this specific outcome, as Scott was describing to you, which is just fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's so cool. So, a lot of conversations in the news right now about when to reopen Mm -hmm. countries, our country, your country, the borders, schools Mm -hmm. a little bit. All seems maybe a little premature, especially in a country like the United States that is obviously doing a pretty terrible job of handling the virus um, in general. And and it's just the beginning too. That's what people don't understand. In, yeah, yeah. Specifically yeah. in some states, um, Ontario, um, on the other hand, is just reported that they've they they think that they're past peak. So mm. so that's exciting news that came out today. Um, so, but, but some kids are around the world in some other countries are, are going back to school already. Um, and there's an article in the New York times about Denmark and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, even the picture on the main, I'm looking at the picture the, now the on picture the main, is uh,
0: worth a billion words. I'm looking at that picture and it's just amazing. There is. So much that can be said about that as far as that picture. And you can see probably I'm looking at about eight kids in about a quarter of the room, maybe yeah. using half of the space of the room. They're very much spaced apart from each other. Yeah. Um
1: Yeah, they're a good six, seven feet apart at least. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it it is very interesting and also like really creepy. You're really creepy, you know, as far as the thing goes. And and I can't even imagine having these young kids, and these probably are eight, seven, eight-year-olds like my, my youngest son, and then telling them and basically demanding that, yes, you actually need to stay this distance apart from each other at all times. You know, when they form lines to go to the cafeteria or to go to their extracurricular courses or wherever they're going, that the, the playground, imagine in the playground then too, like, They're going to play games and do the things, but they're going to have to keep the social distance away from each other. That's crazy. I mean, to me, that's like, I mean, it is obviously what is needed. You needed to do that. But just the look of it and where we're actually at and to think of that that could be next fall for us or whenever we go back. Mm Mm-hmm. And people were asking really good questions. you know I saw Chris Aaviis, he's been on the show before uh, he goes by tech up teacher on on Twitter and he said something to the effect of, "Have you seen my classroom and how what kind of space I have for the thirty students that I have per class?" It's like there is no there's social distancing in that environment is impossible. so what are you gonna do then you know how are you going to?" to make this happen um, these
1: uh these you, man, these welfare state education systems aren't looking so bad these days with their large schools and their well-funded education systems because you know there's a lot of a lot of schools that wouldn't be able to support social distancing um you know and wouldn't have enough teachers to support you know Dividing up the classrooms into much, much smaller class sizes. I, you know, if the kids weren't so damn afraid of being back at school, this actually might be a good thing that there are smaller class sizes hmm. with more room in a classroom for kids to move around, and you know, you could do some interesting things with like getting the desks out of the way and using the space in the in the, the rooms. But yeah, right. But i I don't want to infer anything from the eight kids that I'm looking at on the screen, but they don't I'll look tell happy,
0: you. No. Hmm? They don't look happy. They don't look happy, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I... that, if I'm going to do something out of that picture, I'm just looking at them and going, they don't
1: look I like might die here. Like. It's, it's like the, you know, it's crazy. It's creepy. It is crazy. Cause Talking I'll about that. You, you don't Mike, have to be... Yeah. yeah.
0: No, I was just thinking about that. Like, Have you had those discussions? Because I've had that discussion with Nicole. Next fall comes around now you guys say you're on the down uh, turn from the things. Yeah. Um, I think it's just beginning as far as in the United States. there're going to be continue to be all these different uh, hot spots that end up popping up uh, like happened th- just a few days ago in South Dakota um, And anyway, next fall comes around it's still we're still in let's say let's call it the middle of it let's call it middle end, whatever it might be, you know, kind of thing. How are you feeling as far as going back into this thing where you are going into an institution where it is basically, even in this environment, it's impossible to not be exposed to, if someone is, you know, sick or whatever it might be, you're going to be exposed. That's kind of one of the... The things about teaching, everybody knows that. You go back to teaching in the fall, your wife probably knows this, especially working with little kindergartners. You are exposed to all of their stuff.
1: Let's just say it. They're gross.
0: Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, you are <laughs> exposed to, yeah, no, you totally. know, it doesn't matter at what grade level. Yep. And in this case, you're exposed to a deadly contagious virus. Um, yep. And so you I don't know I, where
1: I, they've been, where their families have been. They're a vector for. It's why they they didn't close the schools because kids could get sick and die. I mean, even though kids have gotten sick and um, sadly a, a couple of a few a small amount of kids have passed away, they they closed the schools because kids are vectors, like to get your grandparents sick. And you know, it's why my kids haven't seen their grandparents and sick while well, they've seen them, but they haven't like been and like six feet within reach of them for six weeks. And yeah. I have a little boy who had a good old cry um, mm. because he used to go to McDonald's with his grandmother every Thursday and yeah. see her every day and, um, and doesn't do that anymore. And that's sad. And, you know, I have a, a bigger boy who got sick, who got a fever and a cold. And legit thought he was going to die and Mm -hmm. said that out loud. And that's heartbreaking. That's It it was awful as a parent to deal with that. But, you know, that's the reality is that, you know, he's 11. Mm -hmm. And I think that even Jacob understands that we're home. Like in Jacob's four, they both understand very clearly that there's you know, something, something bad. bad is going on. Like mm-hmm. Jacob, like Jacob knows that people are getting sick and that because people are getting sick, everyone needs to stay at home. And because Jacob could get sick and then get grandma and grandpa sick, that's why Jacob can't see grandma and grandpa. Like he mm-hmm. he understands this. And Isaac understands like it even more in the sense that he understands that like people are dying. Mm-hmm. Like, and how easy it is for people to get sick. And, you know, so it was like a moment that, like, it didn't just scare him. It scared me um, that he thought of that and thought that way. He was like, am I going to die? And I'm like, oh, my God, it was rough. And so, Mm. you know, putting it in the context of this, it's like these kids are at school and all of them are aware of what's going on. And why it's going on. I think it's crazy. To have schools open. When the kids think that they could die. Because of it. Because they, they And we know that that's. Probably not going to happen. But this isn't about what. Like this this time. Is not going to be defined. By what our kids learned and didn't learn. It's going to be defined by. How our kids felt. And the. The mental health impact of this time that's that's the legacy of this for our kids we'll figure out how to teach them later we'll figure out how to catch them up we'll do what we always did in september august whatever whenever you come back you're going to sit down with each student and you're going to set benchmarks for what you think where you think they're at and then you're going to make a plan Mm -hmm. and it's going to be a great plan and you're going to Surprise everybody, maybe even yourselves, but you're going to do a great job. And we know this because this is what teachers have always done. But what you can't, like y- you you have this opportunity to control how their mind is and their mm-hmm. emotions. And that's the legacy of this. And, and I think that this, having kids back at school this early... Um, could be scarring, so I'm really interested in seeing how all this plays out, and it's scary. And so I don't know what to say other than I think that it's a bad decision to put anyone back in a school right now.
0: Yeah, no, and I, I, I was just thinking as far as when next fall comes around, us as the educators, I mean, of yeah. course the kids, yeah, but I'm thinking about the educators. Mm -hmm. what are we going to do? I mean, just like Corey Graham asked, are you comfortable, you know, will you be comfortable going back or whatever might be? It's like, well, it depends on how, what's happening, you know, as far as during that time, like where are we at with all of this? But if it's still uncertain and I'm having a pretty good feeling that it's going to still be uncertain, (laughs) at least in the United States. You think? (laughs) um, It's going to be very difficult to just go, it's okay, we're gonna we're gonna go back. We're gonna have some new procedures in place, which of course we are. We're gonna yeah. do this and this and this, but it's still gonna be real difficult as you walk through those doors and you, and for us we have our you know uh basically a small city, you know, a small town, twenty five hundred students all in one building in one location, all pouring in at the same time. That's gonna be tough. I mean that just that concept of of potentially being exposed to whatever it is, you know, as far as to to be exposed. It's still a ways away, but it's a conversation that's currently happening and it should be interesting to see what happens. You know, I, I, I mean, it would be great if we are on the way downturn and everything is kind of in the back mirror and we're, you know, rear view mirror, sorry. And we're like, yes, we're moving forward. We've, it's been contained. We have, you know, got, I mean, it's a pipe dream to say we're going to have a vaccine or something like that. But you know, those kinds of things—I don't know—that's super uncertain.
1: Super uncertain. Um, We will wait and see. We'll link the article in the show notes. Uh, We'll hey, chat on education. We should actually plug this chat on education live this friday on twitch twitch.tv slash inside participate uh you will be hearing this podcast before friday night friday night eight o'clock twitch.tv slash inside participate go there follow us now uh click that little heart button above the 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 screen you'll get a notification when we go live um eight o'clock we're gonna talk about this Throw, Guaranteed.
0: You can throw your comments in the chat. This is the part yeah. we love. It's going to be really cool because you can go ahead and ask us questions, whether yep. it be on Twitter or on on uh, Twitch, obviously, and then we'll be able to interact instead of it just being kind of a, you know, just the chat inside of, you know, the virtual space of Twitter. You actually get this, you hear our responses, our live, yep. you know, kind of commentary or whatever it might be about whatever topics we're going to have some questions obviously but we're whatever other types of things you guys want to bring up or commentary or want us to react to whatever we we will do that and the whole team's going
1: to be there so we've we've opened the invitation for the chat on twitch to anyone on the team that's available that night uh so some nights we'll have maybe two people some nights we may have well you know we'll wait and see we're 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 adding people So, uh, you know, if I do a count on my perfect scenario for the future in a couple weeks from now the on education team will be like six or seven people. And that's crazy. You know, that's a, it's, awesome. that's a party. So, yes. uh, so stay tuned uh, for that. Please, please join us. Uh, chat on education live on twitch.tv slash inside participate eight o'clock on Friday. When we come back uh, our interview with educator, technology consultant and author Rob Dunlop, a fellow Canadian. Stay with us.
0: On Education is brought to you by GoGuardian. GoGuardian helps thousands of K-12 school districts maximize the learning potential of every student by providing solutions that help enable productive and safe digital learning. GoGuardian's products help educators identify learning patterns, protect students from harmful and distracting content, and support mental health. To support schools during their remote learning transition, GoGuardian is offering free access to their entire product suite until the end of the school year. To learn more about GoGuardian and download free resources about remote learning, visit GoGuardian.com.
1: Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest this week is a technology consultant at the Niagara District School Board in Niagara Falls, Ontario, a fellow Canadian up. His book, Strive for Happiness in Education, is out now. Welcome to the podcast, Rob Dunlop.
2: How are you doing, guys? Pleasure to Great. be on this one.
1: You know, it's funny. Um, we had this interview scheduled like two and a half months ago, actually during FETC, and, and just things never ended up working out. But I actually think that, you know, in, in some cases, things are meant to be. Uh, and I, I actually think that this is a really good time to be talking about the book you wrote. So I, I'm super happy that you're joining us now instead of joining us in January when the world was a completely different place. Um, so so this is great. Why don't you go ahead and tell us all a little bit more about yourself, a bit of your path through education that led to you speaking with us today?
2: Yeah, I've had a, a pretty crazy, awesome career so far. I, before, it's an interesting um, coming into education. I used to be a personal trainer for a millionaire around the world, and I lived on like, Pretty much the richest places in the world. South Africa. I lived on the same street as Lady Diana's brother. Like I was living some pretty crazy life. Um, and you know, it just wasn't enough. I ended up just giving it all up and coming back and doing my teacher's college. And just because I wanted more out of life. And so when I came into the profession, I was pretty excited to be in the profession. And you know, I really loved everything about it. To be honest, I loved like how everything was changing. And I loved learning about students. I loved the connections. I love pedagogy. And um, Yeah, it just kept going and going. I actually had a phys ed major and at one point I started to like drift from like being phys ed is my major passion in education to really seeing that kids love technology. And I started to play more with tech in the classroom with kids and it's crazy where things lead you. Like, you know, I think it was five years ago, this job popped up for technology consultant and I jumped on it. Got the job. Uh, I was doing a lot of getting people up and going in D2L. That went really, really well. And uh, now we're basically, there's three of us in our board, which are tech consultants, and we support around 35,000 students on everything from coding to Google to D2L and all these different types of technology and it's super amazing job i just get to work with educators every day and uh yeah i absolutely love it this time has been crazy though like when you're a technology consultant during remote learning it is it is intense i'm averaging i averaged in the first week i think i was 1500 emails in seven days and now i'm currently averaging out over the course of since march break uh just over 100 emails a day and on top of all the virtual meetings and creating tutorials and widgets and everything, so it is—it's nice. uh, been crazy. But uh, you know what? I love it. I, it's great to you know have a skill set that can help people, and and mm-hmm. definitely it's coming into play right now.
1: So it it um for some context, actually, the D two L thing is actually kind of interesting because um, uh, a lot of our listeners wouldn't know that Ontario. Um, The the Ministry of Education contracted um, out uh, the learning, uh, an LMS contract to D2L. uh, So Brightspace is now like the official learning management system for the whole province. Um, But no one had really like done anything with it yet, or at least not like it was spotty at best let's yes, just say sure. across the province uh it was some some districts doing a little bit better than others but now it's like everyone has to use it and figure it out so how has it been with um you know you said building widgets so that must mean you're you're spending a lot of time in bright space i imagine right
2: yeah we're actually very fortunate though uh when we came in when i started my job it was the craziest day i sit down at this desk and i don't know what i'm doing but someone tells me we have in elementary we have 345 users of brightspace and i was just (laughs) like okay like this is a job and then so We changed the home pages. We did some customization in there and we adopted 5,000 people a year for three years. I think last year we had 17,000 coming in an elementary alone, plus all of our secondary. So we're up in the 33,000 range. And um, this year, currently, I think we're like 35,000 out of like 37,000 students are in it. So we had a real head start because we were using it. We were actually one of those districts that got it up and going. We actually received the d2l award of excellence for our adoption throughout those three four years so no it's uh that part's been great it's it's now everyone's trying to do all these advanced things inside of it like they're trying to do feedback discussions um using activity feed all sorts of things the portfolio tool so yeah no, it's uh they're coming at you from every single angle and you know you think you're ready we had all these tutorials lined up but remote learning is different than blended learning. And so now we're customizing our tutorials to be directly for um remote learning. So I, I'm one of those people that I need a tutorial that's exactly what I'm trying to do in the same environment. I can't be it can't be a little bit off. So I spend a lot of my time trying to, you know, think of like just the easiest way to use it. Like what's the simplified, not the fanciest way, but the easiest simplified way for both the teacher and the student and um yeah, no, it's 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 been a trip. But if I if we had low enrollment, yeah, this job might be twice as hard right now.
0: So we are asking everybody now during these times about how this is impacting you and your family, and obviously your teaching instructional type of life right now. So tell us about how it's impacted your work and your family, and and how are you guys coping with this.
2: Yeah, it's a lot, right? That first um, week when I was getting all those emails, I was just trying to plow through it. Very little work-life balance. L- literally, had to say, guys, I like, I, like I, was, I actually had to take off my Apple Watch and turn off all my dingers because the constant buzzing and dinging was giving me some severe anxiety. And I think it wore me down so much that I don't know if I had it, Corona or whatever I had, but I had something nasty come in and take me out for a couple of days. I was sleeping for like three hours and then doing emails for two hours and and I just did that for like three days just just because I knew I had to keep on top of it or I'd come back to like 800 emails on when I finally got better and uh I got through that so and but in that in that whole process I realized that there is some there is a lot of importance to doing a lot of those things I talked about in the book, and and making those priority times and carving out times for, especially my family and just so some downtime, some exercise time. So, and fortunately, it calmed down a little, and I could do that, but. Um, I, I did just write a blog post on my blog motivated com, and it was about this feeling of like when I came off March break and there was that one week right after um, teachers hadn't really got up and going and it was really slow and I was like I was kind of felt lost all day I didn't really I don't wanna say I was unhappy but I didn't really feel much energy I wasn't working out I wasn't writing wasn't really doing much and then all of a sudden this remote learning started to become a thing and I started to get emails and like And then I found like I had a purpose again. Like I feel like for me that is so fundamental for me being happy. Although I'm busy and I'm constantly going from like six o'clock to like seven o'clock, you know, it, it gives me that feeling of accomplishment. It gives me that feeling of like, I'm, I'm doing something with each day. And it's so interesting is when I'm in that mode, I'm the happiest and I'm the most productive. I'm cleaning my garage on the weekends. I'm cutting grass. I'm like, I'm <laughs> blogging, I'm exercising, yeah. you know, it's, it's amazing. So I think for just the way I'm wired is if I don't have that purpose, I, I struggle a bit. But mm. on the other side, if I let that purpose overtake everything, then I struggle on the other side. So it's like, it's just finding some middle ground there for me. That's really important.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So let's talk about the book, Strive for Happiness in Education. We were talking offline uh, about the book writing process uh, a little bit um, and, uh, the you know, how hard it is to, to write uh, a book. Uh, so so. Let's talk about the book. Talk about, you know, how long you were working on it and kind of your thoughts as you were writing it. Um, But also answer, I think, this important question as well. And that's, you know, why do we need a book um, about teachers being happy? I think that there's like this, like, stereotype Maybe um, it's it's obviously not correct, but there's certainly uh, an impression that teachers just you know everything's rainbows and sunshine for teachers. Like that teachers love their job, love their kids, love coming to work every day, show up with a smile on their face, and just life is. Freaking awesome for teachers, but that's clearly not always the case. So why do we need a book about teacher happiness as well?
2: Well, that's clearly just on Twitter, by the way. Um, <laughs> the real world is uh, totally different. So yeah, here's a very interesting thing: is like when you step out of a classroom role and you step into a district role. I was K to twelve, supporting three thousand teachers in every style of classroom you know you get a really different perspective it's like you kind of move back and and get to see things um, happening and I could see like I would meet teachers and I could see they were struggling with this and I could see it wasn't just one or two in a school but there was a lot of teachers just struggling to be as happy as they would like to be in the profession but that's not really where it actually came from it a couple of things happened um, for me number one was I was struggling myself really hard like I was there was a point where I was really upset, um, at actually two occasions in my career, which I was really frustrated and upset. Um, one led in, one led to me basically saying I was removing myself from my role completely and going back to the classroom. Um, and then the other one was I had said, I'm, I was just done. I was just like, I was gonna go work tech at corporately basically for uh, just, I was thinking D2L. And I, everything was kind of going in that direction at one point, and I was just so frustrated with education. And I, I was on—I was one signature away from leaving education completely, hundred percent. And you know, I started to look at my life and look at what I wanted out of life, and look at what I wanted to be, and how much I loved education. And I was really, really upset and trying to get my head around this. And my wife gave me this book by Sean Acor called Before Happiness. And in this book, he talks about, I remember reading it right before I went to bed one night, and he talks about the idea of having multiple, multiple, being able to see multiple realities of the exact same situation. And it was like, I didn't get what that was saying. My reality was life was sucking, I was angry, I wanted out. And But I remember waking up the next morning and I have this routine when I wake up, I open my curtains and look out my back window. And this morning my eyes welled completely shut with tears. And I just I was a mess. And I and then I felt this like strange, like overflowing amount of gratitude. And it's because for three months, four months, something had happened, and it's not it's irrelevant what happened, but something happened that made me so mad that I could only see negative. I could only see that I'd been done wrong, that I should never have left the classroom, That and blah, blah, blah. And that's my was my brain. I was spreading toxicity. I was saying it to anyone that would listen. I was just this really negative person, and I couldn't see anything positive. Well, that morning, we're looking out the window. All of a sudden, I could see the friendships I'd created, the skills I was developing, you know, all of these different Ideas were coming into my mind and I was becoming an entirely different person that I was enjoying and I was just like and I and I remember that day saying that's it. It's all about perspective. It's all about what you choose to focus on and how you choose to live that. And I, I tell you, since that day, I have been able to choose the, the reality that will lead to the best outcome for me. So when something bad happens, what I realize is it's every decision I make once that happens that will set my course so something bad can happen and it's bad but it's what does it, what, what choices am I going to make for the next couple of weeks are going to define how happy or unhappy I am and it works all the time and it's not to say sometimes bad things happen and I don't get upset no I get upset but then eventually I calm down enough to be able to look at the real reality and the real reality was I had a great job I had tons of um, amazing teachers I worked with all day. I was developing skills. I did enjoy what I was doing. I was just focused on one piece that I wasn't happy with. And that was really a game changer um, for me. The book was actually born though in the weirdest way. Like, I don't even know if it's not even good advertising saying this to you, but I'd never read a book before I wrote one. So like, it's a strange, I'm a strange duck because I, you know, I just was never a reader. Like it just wasn't my thing. And I just, and then, so I presented at a university, I'd, I'd received this accolade or whatever, and that led to universities contact me and I'd go speak to them for the first time ever. So I'd never done that. And and yeah, I don't know what it was about that time. And, and then I had one other experience in the same week where I went into a class and I got an email to work with this teacher named Wendy Belinsky. And by the email, I thought she was like 22, like in in the emoji cons, like exclamation marks the passion. (laughs) So I walk into this school and I walk in this classroom and I turn around and I and I look at and they say they give me a room number. I look in the room number and I see this lady and I go, hey, you have any idea where I can find Wendy Belinsky? And she goes, I'm Wendy Belinsky. And I'm in my head. I'm thinking, no, you're not, because you're like 30 years into education. She's so close, like she's she's right at the end of the career. And I said, this can't be the same person I'm looking for. And with, it was easily the most inspirational hour of my my career for sure. I remember leaving my my that parking lot that day, taking my hand out the steering wheel and saying, that 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 right there, that's what I want to be. And I was at that point, I was really enamored and and inspired by her passion and her motivation. So I actually woke up that day with never reading a book. And because of her and because of this presentation thing and I was working with these students and trying to tell them how to engage students, I was like, man, you should be working on engaging yourselves. That's what we that's what we need to do as educators is is we need to work on self-engagement and that will inspire all sorts of great things to happen. And so I wake up with this entire book on motivation and education. Like I'm talking the whole thing. So I pop out of bed, like like literally sit up, like completely up, straight up. And I'm a slow riser, right? Like it takes me forever to get to bed in the morning. (laughs) And I run down the stairs at like before five o'clock and I'm on my computer and my wife comes down like 45 minutes. And I still say, honey, what was that? Like, what took you so long to come down? <laughs> like, it looked like like the house was on fire <laughs> the way I ran out of the room. And but when she comes down, she goes, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to write a book. And she goes, Rob, you've never read a book. And I said, I know. Super hard to explain, honey, but I've got this entire book on motivation, and education in my head. She looks at my screen, 18 chapters laid out point form, main ideas. The whole doc was full. And she says, uh, wow, how are you going to do this? And at the time I was weighing in at like, I'm a big guy, I'm like 6'4", but I was weighing in at 265, really heavy, not in shape. And I wasn't exercising. I was in, I really was struggling with motivation in the evenings. I have young kids, you know, they don't sleep a lot. They, you know, like seven o'clock rolls around, I get them to bed and I just fall on the couch and watch Netflix. I was just in a, wasn't really in a great spot in the evenings like in terms of being motivated or inspired and i so i come back from work and she goes so how are you going to write this book and i said i'm going to exercise and she goes what's wrong with you like where are you now you're going to exercise and write a book you haven't done that for like four years and i said sounds weird but i think i need to get the blood pumping and moving so Mm. i started writing that book and i exercised every night for four months i wrote the book in four months wow and um I lost all sorts of balance. I, my wife is mad at me. Like, my friends stopped talking to me because that's all I could think about with this, this book. I was, one, <laughs> I was just one track minded on this thing. And then the most interesting thing happened to me is I was actually doing a, my first ever spotlight on uh, at Connect. And it was the day before, and I'd submitted my book to a publisher in education, like the most popular publisher in education, like, like, like educator publisher. And mm-hmm. uh, I was super excited, I had this book, I thought, it, you know, I just thought, oh, we're gonna get published. And then uh, I was walking, like it was literally, I think like maybe 20 hours before I actually took the stage at Connect, and I get the phone call that we're not picking your book up, and I was mm-hmm. a wreck wreck I turned around the corner my sister was there my eyes are full of tears I was like I gotta get out of here so I go they actually gave me a hotel so I go to the hotel and it's it overlooks the Niagara Falls like it is the craziest view of the Niagara Falls and I'm standing there almost crying looking out this window and then I thought to myself, I just started laughing. I was like, man, I got some third world problems. My book didn't get published for me. <laughs> and uh, and I'm in this fancy hotel room. I'm about to speak in front of all these people and talk about my passion. And I have a big jacuzzi tub behind me. So I was like, the weirdest thing is I just jumped, dumped some bubbles in it and jumped in it. And I just was like, you know, that was a moment for me where I was like, I just need to like, I just need to start appreciating things. It's it's yeah. not about the expectations I have in life. And Tony Robbins talks about this. It's about the it's about the appreciation of what's going on. So I um I, I did that presentation and it went relatively well. And then I realized something. I wrote the book on the wrong topic and I actually said it. In my at and the end of my um, spotlight presentation, out of nowhere, it wasn't planned. I said, you know, what? I realized I wrote the book on the wrong topic. I wrote a book on motivation education. What I realized is I should have wrote the book book on happiness and education. And I said, I can't wait to get back at this thing. And so then the reason why because I started reading. I started reading in this process after I realized like, you know, after that four months when they took about like six, seven months for them to get back to me, I started actually saying, well, maybe I should be. And so I didn't actually read. I started listening to audiobooks and listening to like people like Sean Acor and all these people. I start I took a pivot from motivation to like starting to read more about being happy and I realized that it wasn't Wendy Belinsky's motivation that got me so good. It was the fact of how happy she was, how much she loved kids, how much she loved learning, how much she loved pedagogy, how much she loved coming to work. And I was like, that is my new goal. So everyone thought I was crazy. I took my first book, it was like 180 pages. I just put it to the side, I wrote it off as practice. I just said, I'm not publishing that one. And uh, started from scratch and started to say, You know, my favorite author, Spencer Johnson, he wrote Who Moved My Cheese and Peaks and Valleys. And it took him 18 years to write one and 19 years to write the other. And they said, well, why? Why did it take so long to write a 100 page book? He says, because I was living it. I wanted to live it. So it had truth. And so when I decided to write this book, I decided to honor my wife, honor my family, honor my friends and take my time and honor the people who are going to read the book and make it like. A thing that whether it took me a year, whether it took me five years, whether it took me 20 years, I was just going to write this book at my own pace. I'm not writing the book to be anything. I don't need money. I don't want lights and cameras. You know, I just I just felt like I just had something to share. So I uh, it was interesting. So I start from scratch and I decided I'm going to live out each chapter. So like say I wrote a chapter on self-care. I would for three, four, and five months wasn't planned, I would just practice every piece of self-care I could find, read any book, find any blog, like look for anything I could find. Then I'd be like, oh, I'm doing gratitude now. And when I wrote gratitude, and then when I felt that I had a good handle on it, and I felt, and I like, I have a board behind me where I just would write everything, and I felt like I had enough ideas that would really captured it. And then I was meeting with teachers too, so I was trying to figure out what they were doing, and it was, I was interviewing people, and so, once i found that i was ready i would write that chapter and it would just flow out it was just because i was living it it wasn't like it wasn't hard to write the hard part was like learning about it and, and and delving completely into it but the most interesting part was the transformation that was happening to me while writing every chapter like if this book never sold one copy it wouldn't matter mm. to me to be honest because i it's changed me in so many ways the writing process and I understand myself better now. I understand what makes me tick. There's things in that book that I don't practice because they don't work for me, but they work for other people. But Mm. I know in all of these categories, what makes me tick and what works for me. And that's my idea behind the book became there was a study done on twins. And what they end up finding out was that they said that 50% of our happiness is determined by genetics. 10% is determined by circumstance. Which 10%, if you think COVID-19 is only 10% of what we're dealing with, it's 40% is choice. So what are you doing during COVID-19? What are the choices you're making while at home? What are the choices are you making? Are you doing things that make you happy, or are you focusing on things that make you upset? Are, what kind of media are you absorbing during this time? Are you looking for positive media? Are you looking for positive people to surround yourself, or are you delving into the news every night, or are you watching things on Netflix like Pandemic or whatever these movies they have are? Like, there's, <laughs> there's so, so many. Popular, yeah? I look at the searches all the time, like you know uh, the most the the most mm-hmm. like trending in Twitter, and there it's these are decisions we make every single day. There's there's hundreds and hundreds of decisions we're making. So now I truly believe it's 10%. No matter what happens to me, my belief is the next 40% is on me and how unhappy I am is is really dependent on that. Is that 10% hard to deal with for sure? Is this really tough to deal with for sure? But are people able to maintain their happiness levels throughout this 100%, right? So yeah i just get into I just get into doing all that so yeah, crazy journey uh,
0: yeah, that's insane, and I was just thinking about when you were describing um kind of how close you were to just teacher burnout, you were describing that, just saying, Hey, I'm frustrated with all of these things that are in education, and I think a lot of educators feel that. Under normal circumstances in February and in March, you know, the, lo- the year gets really long and there's standardized testing and all of these pressures kind of come on them. But during these times, this specific thing, the shift to distance learning and the expectations that they have on them, I think a lot of teachers are feeling that like, is this the profession for me? But there's a concept you mentioned inside of your book. It's Aikigai. I think it's a Japanese concept. Yeah. Aikigai. Yeah. A, yeah, ikigai—the a reason for being—the intersection of between passion, mission, profession, and vocation. And I, 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 looked at that chart that you had inside of inside of your book there, and I'm like, and the question that you ask isn't teaching, the most, amazing intersection between all of these things, or can't it actually be the the most amazing intersection between all of these things? So tell us more about that cuz I was like that's that's kind of on that trend line of what you're talking about as far as seeing things that are positive, you know, what you're good at, what the world needs, what you can be paid for and what you love to do. It's pretty damn I mean that's like that yeah. sounds like teaching to me.
2: Yeah, and so just to give you an overview, and I'll, I'll tackle that one. Strive actually stands as an acronym, right? So it stands for students, team, routines, innovate viability and extraordinary so the student part really focuses on like how do you keep the students as your reason for being how do you keep them at the center the focus the purpose of what you're going to school for i think I I think we shift and you know simon Sinek has that great ted talk where he talks about starting with your why and then working your way to the how and what i think in education over time we just become so what focus what technology what expectations what standardized tests what this what that and we're we we lose sight of why we actually started teaching right and when you look at icky guy it's a really interesting thing like it's really a westernized version to be honest but like There's four main subcategories. One is basically, well, here they go like this. They're like, find something that you get paid for and something that the world needs. Those are two of them. I say all the time, we got that in education. We're getting paid to do this and we're probably doing what the world needs the most. The other two are what you love to do and uh, what you're good at doing. So I believe as educators, it's our responsibility to maintain our focus on students, but really work on how do we be good at what we do and how do we continue to love what we do? And that's why I think the focus on happiness is so important, right? We just need, like I write on the front of my book, it says, I I forget exactly the wording, but it says, there's nothing more powerful than the educator who loves coming to school every day. And I truly believe that sums up what my book's about. I don't think there is. I think every educator, if you were to say, hey, let's make a list of your favorite teacher of all time. And and I put that quote on there. It's getting 99% of check marks because that's what makes teachers really powerful. It's like if you love it, if you're passionate about it, you're going to do it at a higher level. You're going to come in and you're going to take it by storm. I'm actually seeing a very interesting thing in my board right now. Like I'm sure I'm not seeing all of the burnout that's occurring too, but I'm also seeing a lot of people reconnecting with their passion, missing their students and, you know, wanting to be with them and then connecting to new learning. And and, and that is driving them. I, I I feel like there's like with the people I'm dealing with, there's an excitement around pushing themselves to be a little bit better. I think sometimes in education, it's easy to slip into the, the feeling of like complacency and just doing what you did last year and just letting that roll over. But we don't really realize the impact that's going to have on us overall, right? So the I in STRIVE stands for innovate. And it's basically, how do you keep changing what you're doing? When I like research and, and talk to teachers and run workshops on this, it's it's the ones that report to me to be the happiest it all they're they're always lifetime learners lifelong learners they're always looking to push the envelope they're learning tech they're learning like new different ways to differentiate they're 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 constantly learning because you know tony robbins says progress is happiness and i totally believe that it's if you know if you and during COVID 19 you just watch netflix for like six months of your life i don't think you're going to be overly happy like i don't and i don't mm-hmm. think you're going to feel like oh, i feel so relaxed or rejuvenated no progress is happiness like if you pick up a skill or or learn something new or do something kind for people that is how to tap into happiness and you know when we, we kind of talked about self-care and, and i i believe that it's not this really passive state all the time it's not like oh, I just need to, you know, just veg out. And, you know, when I was vegging out for years on end, I was really unhappy with what what was happening in my life. Like I wasn't, I didn't feel good about the way I looked. I didn't feel good about the way I felt, what I was getting accomplished. So I think when we talk about self-care, we need to look at it as rejuvenation. What are we doing to rejuvenate? So that gives us energy. And I, I think when we really look at it, we get energy when we find the right level of like, engagement in something when I write the book uh, we were talking about like the writing process and how tough it is but for me the thing I was looking most forward to when I was writing was the concept of connecting with this idea of flow. This is a guy Mihai Chincet. Mihai came out with his book, and he comes up with this theory of flow, right? And so flow is very interesting. It's like if you look at like a graph on one on the the right on the the x axis, it's like the the amount of challenge, and then on the bottom axis it's on the amount of skill and where do those connect and they say like mm-hmm. if there's not enough challenge and there's not much skill involved that's falls under boredom and apathy and they put tv mm-hmm. watching under there and i'm not opposed to watching tv don't get me wrong like there's times like for sure i think it's it's great right for me i just like to veg out once in a while but like when when we look at that idea of flow it's if you can set the challenge high enough and meet it with some skill it, it's characterized by the time flying by so, and when I, I actually run a lot, I actually do classes with kids all the time and grade eight class, you think this big guy comes in and they're going to be disconnected. We're going to talk about this fluffy subject called happiness. And then I, I, I get them every time by saying, who's ever done something that when they do it, time just goes by. Like feels like 20 minutes, feels like an hour and a half, two hours, and every hand goes up. And then they tell me about sports or video games or reading or whatever it is they're doing. and that's what I look forward to when writing that was the that was on the habit cycle the reward I was getting is so many nights during my writing process I would come downstairs and I'd like stare at my computer and I'd like fix clean up my desk and I'd like clean off my keys on my computer and it was this like really song and dance for like 15 minutes and then it would know what happen that's like. yeah 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 you know that's like <laughs> and then it would happen And then all of a sudden my fingers would start going. And it's interesting that flow is actually, um, it's characterized by this feeling of like almost out of body experience. Sounds really weird, but I would be typing thinking, who's typing this? Like it would be going like my fingers would be going and I would come to bed at like three in the morning and my wife would be like, Rob, it's three in the morning. I'd be like, man, I just lost track of time. I was and and I would wake up at six, seven o'clock the next day and I'd feel great. I had only had three, four hours sleep. Because my I was I was fulfilled I was doing something that I was passionate about so that idea of when I wrote the book I wrote the book over the, the second book the one that I published over the course of just over three years and I was just looking once or twice a week to hopefully get into this state of flow whether it be reading articles or, or whatever I would just and I just loved to escape into my room and the kids were asleep and my wife had something to do and I would just go there and um yeah i w- at no point did i really feel like the book was really i didn't lose balance so the book wasn't really taking me down it was actually bringing me up and making me feel good and one thing i really 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 had to focus on though was enjoying the process and not getting ahead of myself like when you're yeah. writing a book and talking to people and people know you're writing a book and you're speaking on the book and like you haven't even got it done yet people Mm. constantly are saying stuff to you like oh you must be so excited that the books comes out on this day or Mm. you must be excited when this happens and i said you know what no i'm not you know what i'm excited about i'm in the editing phase right now and i'm I'm excited about cleaning this up. I'm excited to see what the publisher thinks. I'm excited for and then when I'm done that, I'm excited to work with an illustrator and get to design a cover and then when when I'm done with that, I'm excited about this and yet, when the day comes that the book is finally released, I'm really excited about that day, but I don't want to be six months, eight months a year out looking forward to one day. I want to enjoy the whole process so yeah, at no yeah. point did I just but did I just want it to be like get the book out and and see how many copies it sells because it's so interesting is that's expectations right and i I try to remove myself from getting caught up in that world i don't check my amazon sales i don't i'm not sitting online wondering how many followers i have i don't i'm not setting goals like oh i've just passed five thousand or whatever i don't even know how many i have to be honest i probably don't have that many but like because i'm just focused on trying to stay in the moment in the present focused on appreciating everything that's going on. And man, I'll tell you something though, writing a book though, it's awesome. Because what it gives you is once it's out and it's all done, A, A, there's a big weight off your shoulders. You're like, you get this feeling of accomplishment. But the the coolest part is if you can train your brain to focus on those little moments, because there's a lot of them. Like you walk into a school and some teacher runs up to you with your book and you get to sign it. Or someone sends you an email and, you get to like uh, respond to it or someone posts something on twitter and there's or or like a school buy a district or school buys your book or you get a speaking engagement it felt like when that book came out every single day something really cool was happening you know i, I had amazing. ladies giving i had a lady who wanted to draw that when i my book launch and I contacted her to say, yeah, you, you won this signed copy of the book. And she goes, great. I just bought three copies and mailed them to three of my te- best friends in teaching, my TFF, she calls them, because I call my teacher friends forever. And I was like, man, that is a cool moment, right? Like, I don't want to miss those moments because I'm worried if I'm going to sell X amount of copies or I, it's just not worth it. So I just take it as it goes. Even COVID 19, like having COVID 19 happen, I don't know, a couple months into your book launch probably isn't the most ideal situation. Uh, no. Like I had speaking engagements book that I was really excited about, probably isn't ideal. But the mentality is whatever, let's, uh, when it comes back up and going, then we'll see what happens, and if it if it is good and and people continue to buy the book and enjoy the book, then I'll have more of those moments of happiness. But like it's not it's my happiness isn't dependent on the success of the book or anything like that. It's just it, the my happiness is depending on the interaction I have with people around the book is really is really what the coolest part is, and that I'm really trying to focus on every day.
0: So how can people, I mean, your book, I saw that it was available on Amazon here in the United States and obviously in Canada also. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I think it's
2: in Barnes and Nobles too. Barnes and Noble. Yeah. And they I can just know. go online. I I have a website that motivated yeah. you.com. There's links on there. Uh, locally, I have copies that, you know, I can help and distribute just, I have some I purchased. So yeah, just where, I think just wherever people get books, it's really hard to get your book into like uh, chapters or something uh it's very mm-hmm. interesting you actually have to do a book signing if you're nobody so if <laughs> no one knows who you are you actually have to sign books for like five hours and if you sell like wow. four i think it's like five or ten i was just get my mom to come in and uh yeah. and buy them and then they'll hold your book for like so many weeks and if it does well then they might spread it out or whatever it's a, so it's a process is... so no yeah. interesting yeah just getting the book online is probably the easiest way to get it.
0: That's awesome. And how about can you give us that website again?
2: It's motivated so, yep. you. Yes. com. If you look at it in the logo, it's actually motivateedu.com. It's a really mm. tricky, uh, it's a really, nice, it. really <laughs> nice little play at oh, the yeah, end no of that. There. So, yeah. yeah and how I, can
0: people connect with you, Rob, then too, like on social media or any other way? Like, yeah, what, you know, they're sharing some of these ideas or want to learn more.
2: Yeah, my handle is robdunlopedu. I've basically been using that for everything. So Twitter, I don't, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, I have the same one. So anytime people want to contact me, that's probably the best way.
1: Very, very cool. Rob Dunlop, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for
0: coming on the podcast. Yeah, no, man. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. Want to support On Education? Visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash oneducation. There, you can get access to full videos of the podcast and so much more. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or a review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. It helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.